It's 11 minutes before the hour, and you are listening to Raven Radio KCAW. Sitka, today is Tuesday, May 17th, 2022. I'm Catherine Rose, and this is Raven News. A Yakutat woman is in jail pending murder and assault charges after allegedly losing control of her vehicle, killing one man and injuring three others. KCAW's Tosh Kimmel reports. According to court records, 38-year-old Erica Totland rolled her truck around 10.15 p.m. the night of April 30, 2022, resulting in the death of 26-year-old Anton Erickson. Totland, Erickson, and three other passengers were traveling on Forest Highway 10, approximately two miles from Yakutat. One occupant was airlifted to Anchorage, and two others were treated and released. Totland is accused of being under the influence of alcohol at the time of the accident. Totland was arraigned in Juneau Superior Court last week on one count of second-degree murder and three counts of assault. Her next court appearance is scheduled for July 15th. A jury trial is tentatively scheduled for August. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Tosh Kimmel. An eagle that died in the Sitka National Historical Park this month tested positive for the avian influenza. A second eagle that died in the park was also tested for the virus and results are pending. Jennifer Cedarleaf is the avian director at the Alaska Raptor Center. She says a Sitkin reported a third eagle in his yard on Lance Drive that was exhibiting symptoms of the virus. Uh, the last time I heard, he was laying under a bush in the guy's, in the gentleman's yard, and I told him, you know, just leave the bird be and let me know what's happening, and I can come check it out uh, later. Cedarleaf says a handful of bald eagles have tested positive for the virus in Alaska so far this month, including several in Dutch Harbor, two in Anchorage, and one in the Matsu Valley. The highly pathogenic bird flu is the worst the country has seen since 2015 and has a high mortality rate for raptors. She says neurologic symptoms are one indicator that a bird may be suffering. Like holding its head strange or um, having tremors or like having a hard time walking, like stumbling almost, those are really um, good signs for, for avian influenza. She says people who own chickens should keep a close eye on their coops. Those with indoor birds should be very aware. She recommends leaving shoes outside in a bucket to prevent tracking in infected bird feces. And if anyone notices a bird behaving strangely, they can call the Alaska Raptor Center's emergency line at 738-8662 for next steps. Crews began clearing what they're calling a creek slide at mile 57 of the Sterling Highway near Cooper's Landing. It's the latest landslide event to hit the Kenai Peninsula in several days. Brettwood Higman is a Seldovia geologist who's studied landslides around Alaska. He told KDLL's Sabine Pooks that while the exact cause of the landslide in Seward is still under investigation, he says there are a couple of different ways to think about what could have caused that slide and the others that have hit the state. Now, anywhere where you have a steep slope, a landslide is possible. So in this case, uh, this slope was very, very steep. It was steeper than one, one thing that a lot of geomorphologists look for is angle of repose. So it's the angle that slopes just like loose material tends to build up at. And this slope was probably steeper than that to start with. Um, And it was made out of material left by glaciers probably over 10,000 years ago. What led up to it, it's some of it's probably the long history. It is the actual process that the glacier went through to leave that sediment there. And then much more recently, probably building that road, it's often they would 
end up undercutting the slope a little bit, which will reduce um, stability. There may have been, sometimes when you have repeated heavy rain events, that that can actually weaken a slope. Sometimes when we see a landslide, it's really the dramatic landslide. It's kind of the culmination of something that we maybe didn't notice going on for a long time. But likely the ultimate trigger for this was uh, a lot of water coming from melting snow um, this spring. And really abundant water in the ground is, that is the most common thing to trigger uh, landslides. It seems like we've had a lot of incidences of this kind of scale and, and of a larger scale even um, as of late. Uh, what are what are we seeing trend-wise in terms of how often these these landslides are occurring in Alaska and should we be expecting them to happen more frequently? I think we should be expecting to see more landslides, see a landslide be a, a bigger part of life in Alaska in the future than it has been in the past. Um, and there are kind of two ways to look at this. One is, you know, just to kind of blindly look at the statistics. This is pretty limited because we don't have great statistics in a lot of places. And also landslides are pretty, each one is kind of unique. You know, what group are you looking at? But one place where we do have pretty strong statistics, uh, the USGS and others have done work, um, especially down uh, in northern southeast Alaska, and they're seeing a, a marked increase in landslides happening really high up in the mountains. Um, and so these are landslides that are probably in areas where you wouldn't find permafrost down at sea level, but up in the craggy mountaintops, you actually do have some ice in the rock. And so because that's thawing, it's, it's failing. Now, if you set the statistics aside and you say, well, as far as we understand this process, do we expect that there be a change? Then it's a little bit, in some ways, easier to see what might be going on. And there are a number of different processes that um, all point in the same direction. They point towards increasing landslides um, with climate change. One of them is just uh, the increased probability of really intense rain or snowmelt, so weather events that put a lot of water into the ground. So that's one thing that we, we do expect to see and are seeing with climate change. And so we expect then uh, landslides would follow with that. Another is this permafrost thaw process I just mentioned. And then the third is that glaciers as they retreat, um, when a glacier is sitting in a valley, it actually pushes against the valley walls and helps support them. That was Seldovia geologist Brettwood Higman talking to KDLL's Sabine Pooks about the conditions that spur landslides. A year-long Link at Arts initiative through Chilkoot Indian Association pairs mentors with apprentices to develop their craft and strengthen traditional and cultural knowledge. Karen Tog is an artist apprentice in the program, learning Chilkat weaving with teacher Lily Hope to create a child's Chilkat robe. KHNS's Corinne Smith reports. Karen Tog's weaving loom stand in her second-floor living room facing large windows and a sweeping view of the Chilkat Mountains. The snow-capped peaks are bathed in spring sunlight. My name is Karen Tog, Gunashad Duasak, Kluknahadi Ayahat. I am a child of the Raven Coho. Tog has ancestry in the Chilkat Valley and Yukon Territory. Her grandfather was from Chilkoot, and his mother was from Klukwan, and hers from Klukshu. Tog retired to Haines with her husband after 40 years in Juneau. Since retiring, she's focused on weaving. She has two looms set up, one with the beginnings of a raven's tail design, the other is the start of a Chilkat weaving. I've been self-teaching 
I've taken a couple university classes in Juneau, and I've done small Ravensdale projects, but I've never done a great big Chilkat project. Tog is an apprentice learning Chilkat weaving with Juno-based artist Lily Hope as part of the Chilkoot Indian Association's year-long traditional arts program. Doing eyes or a nose or a mouth on a Chilkat design, there's so many intricate weavings within that one little small space. For instance, when you do an eye... Tog is making a child's Chilkat robe for her grandson. She and Hope started working together in March, and Tog made a trip with her portable loom to Hope's Juno studio every few weeks since. Everything has a braid around it because it accentuates the design and pulls it out so you can see it. First, they adapted a Chilkat robe designed by Clarissa Rizal, a famous Chilkat weaver and Hope's mother. Next, Tog dyed the yellow and blue yarn herself and hung the warp, meaning the threads that hang vertically. Oh, it's fun. She's a high-energy person, (laughs) and so it's really enjoyable to be around her. Tog is keeping a journal of her time weaving. It's an intricate and laborious process, but after a career in finance and accounting, she has an eye for details. I have 90 hours into what I have so far, and look... 90 hours, and how much is that? That's only three inches. (laughs) How does that feel? (laughs) It feels pretty good, actually. According to Tog, weaving a Chilkat robe can take between 1,800 to 2,000 hours. She estimates the child's robe to take between 800 to 1,000 hours to be completed by November. It's almost relaxing going back and forth, back and forth. But then you get the design, and then it's like you have to really pay attention. So I think it keeps your mind sharp. The effort is important to Tog in learning traditional Chilkat weaving to someday pass on the skills and techniques to others. It is very important, you know, because it feels like for a long time we weren't allowed to clink it, Haida, Simpson, American Indian, You know, they were trying to erase us, basically. And so people like my mom, who's now um, 88, you know, she didn't get to enjoy or be a part of the culture because it was being washed out. She says her mother is excited about her learning Chilkat weaving, and so far it's been a challenging and wonderful experience. I'm Catherine Rose, and this has been Raven News. (laughs) 